You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll dissect the system that helped racism stay relevant and what can we do to eliminate it. Let's get started. Happy Sunday, friends. It's a joy to greet each and every one of you, all of our TWC family and our extended family. Those of you joining us from around the world, we are so excited to have you. This is week six of our needed and necessary teaching series on race, truth, and reconciliation. So if you haven't done so already, open the TWC app. Our teaching notes are out there each week for you. And you can also open your Bible and meet me in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to start reading at verse 26. The Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to begin around verse 26. The word of the Lord says this. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why did you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, what have I done? Said David. Can I even speak? Drop down to around verse 38. And it says this. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. This morning, we want to dig into this text with this thought and topic, the alphabets of racism. And by way of subtitle, Break Free. I want every white person in this room who would be happy to be treated as this society in general treats our citizens, our black citizens, If you, as a white person, would be happy to receive the same treatment that our black citizens do in this society, please stand. You didn't understand the directions. If you, white folks, want to be treated the way blacks are in this society, stand. Nobody's standing here. That says very plainly that you know what's happening. You know you don't want it for you. I want to know why you're so willing to accept it or to allow it to happen for others. Family, there are three manifestations of the power of racism. The first manifestation is racism's power over people of color to control, hurt, oppress, and destroy them. The second manifestation is racism's power to preserve and maintain power and privilege for the white society. Now, most of the time, 
the attention given to the subject of racism only deals with these first two manifestations. But there is a third manifestation of racism's power. And this is often the component that is overlooked and rarely dealt with. This is racism's ultimate power to control, distort, and imprison everyone. This is racism's most destructive power. Now, I want to go back to what Dr. Corey Little Edwards, one of the leading scholars on race in America, taught us last week about white hegemony. White hegemony is the foundation upon which race and particularly white supremacy is built. White hegemony is a white supremacist system where white dominance and the ideologies, norms, and values that sustain it are taken for granted by whites and people of color. So what are the ideologies, norms, and values of white hegemony? Well, it's that white people are superior and that people of color are inferior and are the problem. Now, we've already established in this teaching series that race, biblically, biologically, genetically, and anthropologically is not real. We've already dealt with the history of how race was made up for the purposes of establishing white people as superior and people of color as inferior. The big problem, though, is that while all of this is not real, both white people and people of color accept and believe these ideologies, norms, and values, even though they are a lie. One of the biggest reasons why we believe this lie, these lies, is because we have been socialized to believe them from a very early age. The socialization of racism is its most destructive power at work. The video you saw a moment ago was from a workshop that Jane Elliott conducted several years ago. And the overall point that she was making in the video is that we have been socialized to believe that whites are superior and people of color are inferior. This is why no white person stood up in the video to volunteer to be treated like a black person does in this society. In April of 1968, shortly after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Jane Elliott, who was a school teacher in Iowa, led her all-white third-grade class through a two-day experiment to demonstrate the power of how we've been socialized by racism. She separated the blue-eyed children from the brown-eyed children, and on the first day, she taught them that the blue-eyed children were superior to the brown-eyed children, and she even instituted rules that gave the blue-eyed children more power and privileges than the brown-eyed children. The results were astounding. The blue-eyed children easily adapted to their role of superiority. They were confident and did exceptionally well in their classwork. They also became dominant and oppressive in the way that they treated the inferior brown-eyed students. The brown-eyed students accepted their role as inferior, and their learning ability and test scores took an immediate plunge. The next day, the roles were reversed. And as soon as the roles were reversed, so were the behaviors. 
The brown-eyed students became superior and dominant, and the blue-eyed students accepted and lived out inferior identities and roles. Now, Jane Elliott has done this experiment several times over the years and even in several different environments, including doing it to the studio audience of the Oprah Winfrey show many years ago. And every time that she's done this experiment, the results are the same. See, this experiment demonstrates how easily we believe the socializations of who is superior and who is inferior. This is the most destructive power of racism. Racism is able to make all of us, white people and people of color, buy into the lie of who is superior and inferior. We are socialized to become the people racism wants us to be. From the moment that we are born, the socializations of race begin to work on us and in us. Listen, if I am consciously and unconsciously taught from the moment of my birth that I am superior and a member of a superior race, I will believe and act according to this message. If I am consciously and unconsciously taught from the moment of my birth that I am inferior and a member of an inferior race, I will believe and act according to this message. Often, we are unaware of how racism shapes our identity and tells us lies about who we are. Every white person is taught to behave according to racism's standards for white people. And every person of color is taught to behave according to racism's standards for people of color. This is why all of us, people of color and white people, are imprisoned by racism. We are all deceived, dehumanized, and we are all being destroyed. This is why we have to break free. Now, I know many of you are wondering what in the world does the story of David and Goliath have to do with all of this? Now, while this is a familiar Bible story, I pray that your heart is open to receive fresh revelation from God through this story. This familiar Bible story is a deep picture of what we all must understand about the way that racism socializes us and it also teaches us what we must do if we're going to break free. The first thing we've got to look at is Saul's socialization. And by his socialization, I mean IRS. Now, I'm not talking about the Internal Revenue Society. I'm talking about internal racial superiority. IRS, the internal racial superiority. What, are, what is that? What am I talking about when I reference that? Well, internal racial superiority is the socialization process that teaches white people to believe, accept, and live out superior societal definitions of self and to fit into and live out superior societal roles. Internal racial superiority socializes white people to believe that they are superior and right because they are white. When David comes to the battlefield and volunteers to fight Goliath, Saul tries to force David to wear his armor. Now, look at this. Saul has been socialized to believe that because he is king, he is superior, he is right. And so he believes that the only way to fight is the way that he's always fought, which is with armor and an army. 
Now we know that this socialization is wrong because the Bible is very clear. Two chapters before this encounter in 1 Samuel 15, God rejected Saul as king. God is no longer with Saul. And as a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel 16, God anoints David as the new king. But because of the way that Saul has been socialized, even though God is no longer with him, and despite the fact that God is now with David, Saul still thinks that he is right because he's imprisoned by the way he's been socialized. He sees David as this inferior kid who doesn't know what he's doing. And so Saul believes that the only way to help this poor little kid is to enforce his ideologies, norms, and values on David. This is why he believes that the only hope that David has is to go into battle wearing his armor. Translation, David, you have to behave the way I want you to behave, talk the way I think you should talk, think the way I believe you should think, dress the way I think you should dress, and then and only then will you fit into my ideologies, norms, and values and have a shot. See, when you buy into the lie of superiority, you believe that your ideologies, norms, and values, no matter how warped and wrong they are, you believe that they are the standard that everyone else must conform to. And if people don't conform to your standard, then something's wrong with them. This is why the power of racism creates two prisons, one for people of color and another for white people. The prison that racism creates for white people looks and feels different than the prison for people of color, but it is a prison nonetheless. It's a prison of lies, pseudo-confidence, power, and control that ultimately isolates, deceives, dehumanizes, and destroys. This prison is what prompted the prolific writer James Baldwin in 1963 to say that the future of the country depends on white people's ability to ask themselves why it was necessary to have a Negro in the first place and why they have invented that idea. Internal racial superiority manifests itself in a number of ways. Let me give you some examples. One is white numbness. This is when white people shut down or emotionally check out when the issue of race comes up. Another example is denial or amnesia. Denial is when white people believe, well, this is not my problem because personally, I'm not a racist. Amnesia is demonstrated when white people say things like, well, slavery happened such a long time ago and shouldn't matter now. And besides, I didn't personally own slaves. Another example is colorblindness. This is another form of denial. This is when people say things like, well, I don't see color. And colorblindness is actually connected to this erroneous idea of a melting pot. Another example of internal racial superiority is white deflection or white fragility. This is when white people shut down, when conversations about race come up. And sometimes emotionally, they will begin to cry or uh, physically just get up and leave the room or emotionally withdraw instead of listening and honestly confronting the issue. Another example is this notion of being a self-proclaimed ally. Now, this is a belief of superiority by being one of the good white people trying to help those who are less fortunate. 
And I'll give you one more example of internal racial superiority. It's the white savior complex. This is attempting to help, but helping from a position of power in order to save people of color instead of really working on the bigger problem of race itself. Now, these are just a few of the ways that internal racial superiority manifests itself in our daily lives. And while there's several other ways that I could have unpacked for you, what's most important to understand is that these behaviors define and normalize racism's most destructive power. We cannot forget that racism cannot exist without getting cooperation and conformity from white people and people of color alike. The highest priority of racism is to ensure that this cooperation and conformity continues year after year from generation to generation. This is why we have to break free. Saul has to break free, but David's brothers have to break free as well. So let's talk secondly about David's brother's socialization. And by that, I'm talking about I-R-O. I-R-O stands for internal racial oppression. When David comes to the battlefield, not only is he confronted by the way that Saul has been socialized, but he's also now having to deal with his brother's socializations as well. David is ridiculed criticized and belittled by his own brothers. When you go back and look at the text, notice what it says. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle and listen to David's response. He says, now what have I done? Implying yet again that he's gone through being picked on and ridiculed by his brothers before. And so he says, now what have I done? Can I even speak? Here's the thing. This is David's own family. This is his flesh and blood. See, internal racial oppression is the socialization process that teaches people of color to believe, accept, and live out the negative societal definitions of self and fit into and live out inferior societal roles. When we accept or even buy into these inferior messages that society communicates about who we are, we begin to internalize the oppression that we've experienced. And then that leads many people of color to hate themselves, their community, and even the people who care for us the most, our family and our friends. See, this is where David's brothers are. Being a shepherd at that time in history, particularly in uh, Israel, and coming from a shepherd's family at that time meant that you were considered inferior. So notice what's happening. The brothers have internalized the oppression that they've experienced, and now they're lashing out at David. The great Brazilian philosopher Paulo Freire, who studied the nature of oppression, came to this conclusion. He said the oppressed, instead of striving for liberation, tend themselves to become oppressors. Think about that. See, if I accept 
and believe the messages that society is always saying to me that I'm inferior, that I'm less than, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not smart enough, etc. Once I internalize those messages, not only am I going to consciously or unconsciously hate myself, I'm also going to consciously or unconsciously hate anyone who looks like me. That internal racial oppression will ultimately drive my thinking and my behavior. Internal racial oppression manifests itself in a number of ways. And let me give you some examples. One is self-doubt. This is that sense of inferiority that leads many people of color to often shy away from opportunities, or even if they have opportunities, they often wonder, am I good enough to step through the door? Am am I smart enough to go after this opportunity? Uh, Do I even deserve to pursue this kind of life or to to go after the dreams that maybe are comfortable for other people? That's self-doubt. Another example is self-hate. Now, this is the next step. Self-hate is the next step beyond self-doubt. Self-hate is when you begin to project your sense of inferiority and inadequacy on the other people who look like you. This is what's happening with David's brothers. And if you really want to understand the origin and the heart of black on black crime, you have to start here. Another example is exaggerated visibility. See, this is a reaction to the feeling of being invisible that racism creates for people of color. So the response is an exaggeration in style and clothing and even in attitudes. You know, when I was growing up, I experienced a number of occasions where white people spoke doom and gloom over my life. They told me that I was never going to be anything or do anything. And you know what? I internalized that. And when I accomplished my first taste of success in business, guess what I did? I went out. And I bought the most expensive watch I could. And I wore it and drew attention to it anytime I was around a bunch of white people. Why? Because I was raging against all of the people who told me that I would never amount to anything. Now, let me confess, my behavior wasn't wise, wasn't good stewardship, and it wasn't biblical. And God has delivered me from that type of behavior. But I'm sharing this with you because I want you to see that what I did was exaggerated visibility. Another example is acculturation or assimilation. Now, this is when someone of color denies their own racial identity, culture, and heritage solely in an effort to be accepted by white culture. Another example is colorism. Colorism is when people of color support and even defend white supremacist ideals and they express prejudice and discrimination against their fellow brothers and sisters of color. Another one that I'll share with you as an example is protectionism. Now, protectionism is when people of color, because they believe that white is right, protect white people and their interest, even in the face of oppression. Now, often this happens because people of color are rewarded for supporting whiteness and sometimes punished when they don't. And often you will find colorism and protectionism working together. An example of this is when a person of color puts down, demeans, and judges another person of color while at the same time protecting, defending, and excusing the racist behavior of a white person. You also see colorism and protectionism working together when people of color automatically assume 
that businesses of color are bad, so they avoid them, while automatically assuming that white businesses are good, so they support them. These are just a few of the ways that internal racial oppression manifests itself in our daily lives. And there's several other ways that I could have unpacked for you. But what's most important for you to understand is that these behaviors support and help maintain racism's most destructive power. So how do we break free? We have to come to the same realizations that David did. Now, we've examined Saul's socializations, and we've even looked at David's brother's socializations. But let me now show you David's realization. When David makes the decision to fight Goliath with his slingshot and five smooth stones, he's rejecting Saul's socializations, and he's also rejecting his brother's socializations as well. David refuses to accept the internal racial superiority from Saul, and he refuses to accept the internal racial oppression from his brothers. He goes into battle with his slingshot and five smooth stones because he realizes that both of those socializations are lies. Neither of them adequately describe who he really is. He realizes that his real identity is who he is in Christ. This is why David goes into battle with Goliath and says, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Who David is in Christ is his real identity. How do we break free from the prisons that racism tries to keep us in? We have to refuse to accept the lie of internal racial superiority, and we refuse to accept the lies of internal racial oppression. We realize that who we really are is who God created and called us to be. And you don't have to apologize for it, and you don't have to justify it. But you do have to become comfortable with who God made you to be and realize that that is the only thing that matters. And let me tell you something. When you realize that who God made you to be is enough, that you are not superior, but you're also not inferior, that you are perfect just the way God made you. When you realize that, let me tell you something. God will do a whole lot with your slingshot and five smooth stones. God will demolish the giants in your life. God will elevate your life beyond your wildest dreams with just your slingshot and five smooth stones. This is what David realized. And you know what? I really believe this was part of the reason why David is called a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect. In fact, he was far from that. But I believe that David touched the heart of God because he refused to believe Saul's lie of internal racial superiority, and he refused to believe his brother's lies of internal racial oppression. What about you? Do you believe the lies? Or are you ready to break free? The last realization that David had was that we need each other. This is why even in the face of Saul's internal racial superiority and his brother's internal racial oppression, 
David never judges them. He never demeans them. He never even condemns them. As a matter of fact, later on, the Bible reveals that Saul tries on a number of occasions to even kill David, very much like what's happening in our society today. But despite all of that, David realizes that we need each other. Family, this is why racism is sinful and demonic, because its end goal is to destroy us all. And either we will cooperate with the goal of racism or we will fight against it with an understanding that the heart of God is to bring us together and heal the divide. You know, the way that David behaves exemplifies the African concept of Ubuntu, Ubuntu, U-B-U-N-T-U, Ubuntu. And I really believe that this African concept of Ubuntu is critical to understand and live out if we are going to combat racism in America. You know, there is no concept of inferior or superior with Ubuntu. The concept of Ubuntu tells us that we are human beings because we are one. A solitary human being is a direct contradiction to the essence of what it means to be human. Our togetherness, according to Ubuntu, is what makes us whole. In other words, without you, I'm not better. And without me, you're not better. In other words, what Ubuntu teaches is that the collective existence of humanity is what makes us better. As I close, I want you to check out this clip of Archbishop Desmond Tutu explaining the heart of this African concept, Ubuntu. The profound truth is you cannot be human on your own. Uh, you are human through relationship. Uh, you, you become human, you know, um, and, and we've seen it. Um, teachers of psychology tell us that you we wouldn't be able to speak as human beings. We, we speak by imitating other human beings. We, we walk uh, as human beings by imitating other human beings. We think, and so ultimately, yes, we are human only through relationship. Um, And that is, that is fantastic because it says we are really made for uh, this delicate network of interdependence, interdependence, so that this, the completely self-sufficient person is in fact subhuman. Um, I need you in order for me to be me. I need you to be you to the fullest. 
uh, we are made for complementarity. Adam had certain gifts, Eve had certain gifts, but it was only when the two made up what was lacking in the other that they became fully human. And, and that is the fundamental law of our being. Ubuntu says, not you are human because you think, you are human because you participate in relationship. Uh, it says a person is a person through other persons. That is what we say. But that is what the Bible is saying. And that is what our human experience teaches us.